0: Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. Welcome to the end of the week. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Friday the 17th of November. I'm very grateful to all of you who are downloading this podcast and for your comments on the show. Please keep them coming. You can send me any questions or points of view by going to peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, President Joe Biden and President Xi Jinping finished their bilateral meeting Wednesday, the first one in more than a year. The two leaders agreed to resume high-level military communications and have also restarted efforts to tackle the flow of fentanyl ingredients into the U.S., Chinese state media also said the two sides agreed to establish an intergovernmental dialogue on artificial intelligence, set up a working group on drug control, significantly increase flights between the two countries next year, and expand exchanges in areas such as education, business and culture. Following the meeting with Joe Biden, President Xi attended a dinner with hundreds of business executives, including chief executive officers of major U.S. companies, such as Elon Musk of Tesla, Tim Cook of Apple, and Albert Bohler of Pfizer. In his speech to the gathered business executives, President Xi said China never bets against the United States and has no intention to challenge the United States or to unseat it. In a speech that got a standing ovation, President Xi said China is a big market and a friend. China is both a super large economy and super large market. and modernization for 1.4 billion Chinese is a huge opportunity that China provides to the world, he said. He added China is ready to be a partner and a friend of the US. Average new home prices in China's 70 major cities declined 0.4 percent last month from September when they dropped 0.3 percent. The decrease was the steepest since February 2015 and the fourth consecutive month of declines. Prices also slid 0.35% in Tier 1 cities, sharply deteriorating from a 0.05% decrease a month earlier. Alibaba has ditched plans to spin off its cloud business, citing uncertainties created by US export curbs on chips used in artificial intelligence applications. The company also put on hold plans for an initial public offering of Freshipo Grocers business as it evaluates market conditions. Shares of Alibaba tumbled over 9% in New York trading Thursday. On today's program, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities, and Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Economist at UBP. With a view from South Korea is Peter Kim, Head of Global Investment Strategy at KB Financial Group in Seoul. <laughs> On Wall Street, consumer stocks and oil companies weighed on the S&P 500 after the world's largest retailer, Walmart, offered a tepid outlook on consumer spending and oil prices dropped sharply. The S&P 500 ticked higher by 0.1% and ended the session at 4,508. The Nasdaq Composite also added 0.1%, closing at 14,114. The Dow was the underperformer, losing 46 points or 0.1% to 34,945. Traders bought treasuries after US jobless claims were higher than economists had expected in a sign that monetary policy is cooling the uh, labour markets. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note fell 8 basis points to 4.46%, its lowest level since September. The two-year yield fell 6 basis points to 4.85%. Oil prices slumped to their lowest level since early June on Thursday. Brent crude fell 4.6%, one of the biggest daily declines this year, taking prices to $77.42 a barrel. Oil has come under pressure as supply has continued to grow outside of the OPEC Plus nations. Gold rallied with spot prices up over 1%, uh, ended the session 1.1% firmer at $1,981 an ounce. Bitcoin tumbled 4.4% to just below $36,000 after the United States Securities and Exchange Commission delayed its approval for a spot Bitcoin ETF and Ethereum Futures ETF. The US dollar index was little changed at 104.38. However, the US dollar Japanese yen pair tumbled amid the narrowing US Japan yield environment. It was down 0.4% at 150.77 Japanese yen to the US dollar. The Chinese yuan was 0.1% firmer at 7.2422 in onshore markets. On the mainland, the Shanghai composite was down 0.7% at 3,051, reversing all the previous day's gains. Hong Kong stocks led Asian equities lower on Thursday. The Hang Seng Index ended the day 246 points, or 1.4% lower at 17,833. The tech index tumbled 1.8%. And both those indices are going to fall further today on that Alibaba news. Uh, Futures markets pointing to another decline of almost 200 points, about 1%, uh, for the Hang Seng. Looks like it's going to open about 17,650 when trading gets going this morning. You can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis. Talk. On this chilly Friday morning, welcome to Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities. <laughs> Glad to see you're wrapped up warm in your winter woolies, Francis. Yeah, good morning. And also with us, Carlos Casanova, who is Senior Asia Economist at Union Boncair Privé here in Hong Kong. Morning, Carlos. Good, good morning. morning. And you're also wrapped up very warm as well, a sign that the weather is changing here in Hong Kong. <laughs> I'll come see you. Let's start uh, with the US. President Joe Biden and President Xi Jinping, they finished their bilateral meeting yesterday at a historic estate south of San Francisco, along with a lot of other American and Chinese officials. It was their first meeting in more than a year. The two leaders agreed to resume high-level military communications, according to officials and reports. China had severed this vital line after Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan in 2022, and the US has been keen to restore it to avoid potential military clashes. President Biden says he and President Xi will maintain more direct lines of communication. He said they will now be both able to pick up the phone to each other and be directly heard immediately. And the US and China have also restarted efforts to tackle the flow of fentanyl ingredients into the US. Chinese state media also said that the two sides agreed to establish an intergovernmental dialogue on artificial intelligence, set up a working group on drug control, control, significantly increase flights between the two countries next year, and also expand exchanges in areas such as education, business and culture. And President Xi told President Biden that Washington's export controls and new outbound investment review mechanism and the sanctions seriously damage China's legitimate interests. And he said he hoped the US would take actions to remedy the policies and provide fair t- treatment to Chinese companies. Um, so, Francis, what yeah. do you make of that? I mean, the US, I should imagine, Joe Biden, is going to be particularly pleased, isn't he? Because he got the two main things he wanted.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, because not too long ago, uh, Chinese warplanes almost hit a B-52 bomber. <laughs> so they want to avoid that because that's very dangerous. And of course, uh. uh, uh the drug abuse is a serious problem, and China is the main uh, supplier of raw materials uh, of fentanyl, uh, which mm-hmm. was shipped to uh, Mexico and then made into fentanyl and then flooded the U. the U.S. market. I think uh, I think these two things, uh, uh, Biden got what he wanted but uh for for uh, china i think the 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 results was uh, less uh, specific because on the trade front uh, got no re- uh uh, uh, uh Uh, no result at all for the uh, semiconductor and then the chips and then the equipment and also nothing on the reduction of the tariff. So I think uh, you you can say it's one for the US and zero for China right now.
0: I don't think um, President Xi realistically expected to get uh, tariffs removed or these export controls (laughs) lifted really, did he?
1: Not yet, but at least some small steps, I Mm. think. Um, But not even a small step, not even a baby (laughs) step.
0: Carlos, the bar was set very low, wasn't it, in terms of expectations from this meeting? So are you surprised? Was there anything in there that uh, um, heartened you?
2: Well, the fact that the bar was set low means that the markets were um, prepared to rally on the slightest positive news. Um, We saw a big display, so I I don't necessarily think that there were no wins for President Xi. Um, The US government managed to clean up San Francisco for him. (laughs) (laughs) That's a win for the United States. That's (laughs) that's (laughs) on face Uh, right there. San
1: Francisco city.
2: But but indeed, it was a little bit disappointing um, in terms of commercial concessions. Um, Remember also that um, China is uh, leading the United Nations Security Council for November, so I think the, f- the focus really was on Israel-Hamas. Um, mm-hmm. And then with a couple of concessions here and there to sweeten the deal um, and of course what China would get out of it is uh, if the US is dis- distracted in the Middle East mm-hmm. and focused on domestic issues ahead of the election, then perhaps US-China tensions would be on the back burner for for you know maybe a year, a year and a half, and that would give China a bit of a window to stabilise um, expectations for financial markets, which have been incredibly choppy. Unfortunately, that um, optimism came to a sudden halt, after mm. President Biden um, repeated his view that, um, mm. you know, President Xi He's is a, a dictator. A <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we saw all of those gains from earlier in the week, uh, you know, come mm. crashing down on Thursday. So that was very mm. unfortunate uh, because uh, uh. The, they, they were setting the stage for a recovery.
0: He said that before as well, yeah. hasn't he, in the this summer. Second provoked. Time, second time. strong yeah, response um, from, um, mm-hmm. from China. Yeah. I, I presume that um, President Xi also needs right now stable relations with the US. He's got a lot of domestic problems, The economy is not doing well, huge problems in the property sector. He doesn't want either problems with the US. He needs some time, doesn't he, to to try and rebuild the economy, uh, develop the technology sector, which is a priority. That's going to take a few years.
1: Yeah, he he need to assure the uh, uh, foreign manufacturers uh, who are actually leaving China uh, since the lockdown ends ended. I think uh, 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 President Xi try uh, the charm uh, offensive. Uh, say uh, we need more interaction. Then uh, please come to visit us. Something like that. But he he was short on specifics. I think. Uh, Business leaders want more assurance that uh, uh, the foreign business can get a free hand in operating their business in China. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now, the uh, uh, foreign enterprises in China had to follow the uh, patriotic education even for the senior executives in China, I think that there's more of a losers than anything else.
0: Mm. Well, Carlos, that, that, I think that was the main reason for him coming, wasn't it? His, his real audience was those chief executives at the dinner that he went to after the meeting with President Biden. It was quite a long dinner. He said quite a lot. Let me try and summarise uh, the main points. He said peaceful coexistence is the baseline that China and the US should st- stick to. He said China's ready to be a partner and a friend of the U.S. He said China never bets against the U.S. and the U.S. should not bet against China. And he said there's plenty of room for China and the U.S. to cooperate. And he said it's going to welcome more U.S. governors and personnel to visit China. He said China's ready to invite 50,000 American youths uh, to visit China. And he said uh, once the door of China-U.S. relations has opened, it can't be shut again. Um did he reassure, do you think, the business executives and, and persuade them that maybe they need to come back to China and invest again in China?
2: I believe that there are other reasons why some of these companies might be leaving. Um, so I, I don't think that, uh, you know, a charm offensive is enough um, to derail some of the French shoring. Um, trends that we've been seeing over the past few years, remember that there's there's a cost argument to be made. Um, you are seeing even Chinese companies moving out of China, so it 's not just the foreign manufacturers. Chinese companies are investing heavily in Southeast Asia to benefit mm-hmm. from some of these um, tr- strategic uh, tailwinds um, so i don 't think that that is enough um, China of course uh, you know should not be in a co- collision course with the u s economy and I think domestically uh, amongst um, you know upper echelons of the Communist Party, there is this expectation or consensus that um, you know, you cannot be running amok and ruining your relationship with the world's largest economy and also your largest uh, commercial partner. Um, and so there is some pressure as well on on President Xi to pivot a little bit and remember that mm-hmm. he, he seems to be a stubborn man. But once he pivots, he pivots. So hopefully this will be the beginning of a more constructive tone from China at least, um, and that will perhaps uh, delay the, the 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 supply chain relocation or prevent a you know, worst case scenario in terms of foreign manufacturers uh, leaving China in a, in a big exodus. But of course, uh, China cannot fight um, economic gravity here either.
0: Mm. Do, do you think Francis, um, he, he was saying he doesn't want to upend uh, the, the U.S. Uh, US uh, at all. He, do you think yeah. that's really true? Do you think he still has these ambitions to replace the U.S. as uh, sort of in terms of global leadership?
1: Of course, uh, I think uh, China is, uh, and, I mean, the U.S. trying to choke China. In terms of the uh, 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 the advanced technologies, like in semiconductor and especially in the, in the military technology, uh, the U.S. doesn't want China to get ahead in all, all these key technologies. And, try, and the U.S. has been recruiting its uh, airlines trying to isolate China from uh, getting all these uh, uh, sophisticated equipment and uh, chips, etc, so I think uh, the competition is still on it has mm-hmm. not lessened at all. I think uh, the last thing uh, the u s want to do is uh, for china to 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 achieve the same military parity mm-hmm. with the u s uh, according to u uh, s military, military intelligence. China already has 1,000 nuclear warheads. <laughs> that mm. is really frightening to, to the uh, uh, U.S. military.
0: I suppose that actions speak louder than words here, isn't it? It's all very mm-hmm. well going over to the U.S. and being friendly to all mm-hmm. these business executives, saying we don't want to challenge uh, U.S. Mm. leadership, we don't want to threaten them. But then you go back and you start harassing Philippines fishing boats or <laughs> moving warships yeah. around Taiwan. The, yeah, which that's sort of right. It's the actions in the end, isn't it? That counts.
1: Well, China says it's my back work, back garden. You you should stay out of it. Mm. It's like the Monroe Doctrine in the 1960s.
0: Did we, uh, did we see anything, Carlos? that encouraged you economically. President Biden said before these meetings that um, it would be good if, uh, if the Chinese economy did well. He wants to help uh, the Chinese economy. He said it would be good if pe- young people had well-paying jobs that would be to the benefit of the US as well. But did we see anything from either side that's going to improve uh, economic ties or you know, even the domestic economy in either country?
2: Well, I, I think outside of the political realm, the, the timing of the meeting is interesting because we should witness a slight recovery in bilateral trade. Um, and that will be uh, due to a uh, replacement cycle with smartphones. China, of course, you know, seeing manufacturers leaving, but China remains the biggest producer of iPhones in the world. Um Apple has a plan to shift some of the supply to India, but I think it's it's only um, 25% by 2030. And even even then, I think executives from the company mentioned that it, it will be very challenging. Um, so I think we will see an improvement in trade, at least in the months ahead, on the back of this um, economic uh, factor that has nothing to do with the meetings. But mm-hmm. they, they know this, and that's why also they are timing um, the the meeting around around this time. For China, I think, you know, the ambition may very well be Xi Jinping's ambition. But but really, um, when it comes to the reality of the situation, they are managing a post-bubble restructuring process. Mm-hmm. Um, it will take um, many years, if not decades, look at Japan, mm-hmm. um, to restructure that real estate sector debt. And so they, they really need to have uh, up-and-coming sectors that will be capable of of picking up the slack. Um, while, you know, they restructure this, this huge chunk of the economy, which is uh, the housing mm-hmm. sector. Um, and so they, they are hoping that AI is going to be one area for them uh, to excel on the global stage. But uh, for me, uh, you know, the U.S. might not allow that. However, um, if they can get some concessions on EVs, China is already the biggest EV exporter in the mm-hmm. world. It overtook Japan this year. It's the biggest EV market in the world. The, the U.S. has Tesla, but arguably, you know, not, not of huge strategic importance to the U.S. economy. I think that could already be a big uh, positive um, take from the meetings this week.
0: And what about the economic data that we've seen um, this week? Let me get your thoughts on on that. First of all, retail sales did better than expected, rose Mm by 7.6% year on year. Industrial production also did better than expected, expanded by 4.6% year on year. Fixed asset investment, though, rose less than forecast by 2.9%. is the data sort of signaling maybe that our worst fears about the Chinese economy are over and we don't need to be so worried about a, a broad uh, sort of month-on-month slowdown?
1: Yes, I think so. I think the data speaks uh, well, well for the Chinese economy. And uh, uh, the most important thing is that the consumer spending is, is up. I think that is the most important part. Uh, China has been trying to uh, increase the portion of consumer spending in the international economy. And, of course, uh, 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 fixed the investment, meaning uh, real estate market is still going down, and they, they... they have to find some way to to fix it. They already announced a, a trillion yuan initiative to help the poor, but certainly not the uh, bankrupt.
0: Uh, to help the poor by housing, basically. Yeah, that's
1: yep. right. But uh, they 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 are staying out of uh, Evergrande and Country Garden. They They're not ju- going
0: to bail out these companies. No, are they right?
1: just let them die. Let the bondholders suffer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they suffered a lot already.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: Carlos, what's your thoughts on on the the first of all? the activity data uh, that we saw this week?
2: Yeah, well, to, to your earlier point, I think nobody, including the US, wants to see a, an economic collapse in China. I think that would be hor- horrendous for the global economy. Mm-hmm. And with the data um, last week, uh, this week, sorry, we have averted the situation so we have no longer seen a sequential slowdown in activity in october but we continue to see this big discrepancy between you know there being a rebound in consumption which by the way was less um strong than than it could have been um and also there being still a big uh lag on the on the investment front because of this recovery in the housing sector they are proactively utilizing fiscal i think we are seeing this global trend towards a more fiscal policy and a more so mon- monetary policy being more on the on the background um they've announced 1 plus 1 so 1 trillion plus 1 trillion i think part of the plan is uh, um to also transfer um f- fiscal um, reserves to the cities that are struggling more with local um bubbles um so of course this uh uh, mm-hmm. The PSL lending, which is is, is not it's some, not something new, um, mm-hmm. will, will be deployed for like Shantytown renovation projects, and a mm-hmm. lot of those contracts will end up going to companies that you know have had payment delays or are experiencing issues with with the big developers. So I think indirectly they are supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it will. It, it, it's still it's still an unbalanced uh, economic recovery. So I, I think the worst case scenario has been averted. But I think the data wasn't strong enough to derail the case for more monetary policy support. Um, in December, so we are still expecting a rate cut and um, mm-hmm. we are still expecting triple R cuts, and uh, mm-hmm. the economy is not out of the woods yet. Mm.
0: Uh, I, I suppose the one f- big fly in the ointment, and we've seen it really every month recently, haven't we? Where we, even though retail sales and um, industrial production do okay, investments into real estate down 9.3%, and what's more, Uh, New home prices in China's 70 major cities declined 0.4% last month, so that (laughs) decline is getting worse. What was particularly worrying um, was that it seems to be spreading to Tier 1 cities. Prices slid 0.35% in Tier 1 cities. Now, this is a new development, isn't it? Because (laughs) Tier 1 cities have held up pretty well Mm -hmm. so far
1: yeah this is uh, really bad news for the developers even uh, tier one cities like beijing and shanghai is suffering the property slump and uh, developers have problems selling uh, flats in beijing i was told and uh, when the prices are falling, nobody will buy mm-hmm. <laughs> that that is the truth it's like hong kong nobody's buying and uh, i think uh, Somehow, somewhere, they have to really shore up the confidence of consumers and, and, and provide a signal that the property, the property slump is over, the, pro, the pro, property prices are on the way up instead of
2: going down. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I jolted a little bit when you mentioned that data point. It's it's a new development and um, they really should allow housing price appreciation in tier one cities, buy themselves <laughs> yeah. a little bit of space to support yeah. the mm. second and third tier cities. If, if you have slumping prices in Beijing and Shanghai, it's uh, mm-hmm. a, a, very problematic. Yeah. Mm. Uh,
0: but they really need to l- almost free up the housing market. Let's find out what the real clearing price is of, of, yeah. of homes. just let and, it go. Yeah,
1: lift all the restrictions. Because yes. it,
0: it's got to happen some point. At yeah. some point, you know, we're going to have to find out what is the, the true state of the losses, aren't we, in the housing market? Wouldn't it be better to do it? Quickly, rather than drag
2: this out over years.
1: Yeah, do it cold turkey, just one stroke, and then clean up the mess. Mm. <laughs> no,
2: but the social cost of that would yeah, be too elevated. Yeah, it would be
1: terrible. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, yep, that's going to be the problem, isn't it? Well, is um is China benefiting from the fact that if you look globally? Um, it looks like the, the cycle of interest rate rises is, uh, is over, isn't it? If you look at certainly look at the data, because we seem to be seeing now some quite big falls in inflation in both consumer price inflation and PPI in, um, in the US, in Europe, in the UK. Um, is this going to help China the fact now that you know rate rises appear to be off the table for a while
1: yeah definitely I think I think they will stop the depreciation of the RMB, which have been falling quite sharply over the past year and uh, of course uh, <laughs> If interest rate has really peaked, I think the stock market will stage a rebound. It's already happening in the U.S., but uh, Hong Kong only for one day. But I think hopefully uh, the Asia market, the Chinese market can rebound too. I think uh, uh, with lowering interest rates and global intre- uh, equity markets can see a rebound, including China and Hong Kong.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think direction of travel is clear for me. Um, yeah. In fact, if you read some of the macro commentary um, from the sell-side research, they are now talking about some CPI components being negative next year. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and now, let me ask you about that. Is,
0: is that realistic? Because I've been wondering, You know, is the real risk here, not that you know inflation ticks back up again, but it goes straight through that 2% target and turns negative? Is there a risk of that happening?
2: I agree. I think there is a risk that that might happen, and it's not a risk that is discussed enough. Um, mm-hmm. the main driver i think that might prevent that from happening next year is if you have uh, sticky service inflation in the u.s but you will have a, a, a base effect to contend with again so on inflation and excluding any supply side shocks to oil or you know black swan events we should see um, cpi ppi declining in the u.s that's good for china mm-hmm. on the u.s treasury uh, front um Not so much visibility. We have a big oversupply right now. So this narrative that rates will be higher for longer could could prevail at least for a while longer. So um, some green shoots, but I think overall for the first half of next year, China will will still have to contend with uh, unfavorable external environment. But hopefully second half, uh, you should see conditions reverse and and, and hopefully that equity rally materialize. Mm-hmm.
0: If, um, if if um, we do see deflation in the US and elsewhere in the world, then that's going to leave interest rates, real rates, way too high, isn't it? And then the central banks are going to have to start cutting quite quickly next year. And if you look at things like the money supply, M2, uh-huh. it's turned negative. Growth in M2 has turned, turned negative a few months ago. So there are some signs there, aren't there, that we should be careful.
1: Yeah, well, I, think, I think energy costs is coming down, uh, mm. no doubt about it. But, but the other major component, I think, uh, in terms of uh, real estate prices. I think uh, U.S. property prices are staying uh, very strong, robust. Uh, The other will be food prices, but but, uh, it's difficult for for food prices to come down. So the risk of actually very severe deflation in, in the U.S., I think is rather remote. You will see slowdown in, the, uh, in inflation, but not, I I doubt uh, you will see deflation.
0: Mm. Uh-huh. Well, Carlos, the, the Jerome Powell has always said, well, other Fed officials as well, they've always said that what they want to see is a series of declines in core inflation. Well, that's been the case now pretty well um, since April, hasn't it? And um, Jerome Powell has also always said he's rather sort of be on the, the side of over-tightening rather than underdoing it and seeing inflation pick up. He might he might be getting what he wishes for here.
2: I, I agree. So if, if we do not enter that deflationary spiral in the US, uh, we see core inflation down, L- later CPI data supports the case for a pause in December, um, then the conditions are there. We have strong economic growth. We have um, you know positive real rates. Um, assuming nothing breaks next year, I think this Goldilocks... Um, uh, con- conditions for the U.S. Uh, are here to stay, and then in in that context, they have very little reason to cut rates in the second half. I think we would have to see deflation. We would have to see something breaking in the U.S. economy for them to move. Um, most likely scenario is that we we may not see them until um, you know very late in the year, and and so we will continue to see you know U.S. outperformance, at least on the equity front, to dominate uh, financial markets for a few more months. Mm.
0: And on the financial markets, Francis, Hong yeah. Kong, once again, couldn't uh, hold the rally. It turned negative. It didn't really <laughs> take much inspiration from yeah, the president, yeah, two yeah. presidents meeting <laughs> or, or from the data. So for November, it's not been too bad. The Hang Seng's up 4.2 yeah. percent, but year to date, down 10 percent, the worst performer in the world.
1: <laughs> well, uh, actually, we should be thankful for the uh, Tuesday rally uh, for, <laughs> <laughs> for 682 points. Uh, uh, signs that, that uh, the market is poised to fall again because uh, Alibaba's shelving is a uh, plan, float uh, spin off its cloud business, mm. and uh, Alibaba fell nine percent, nine point one percent in the U. in U.S. trade overnight. So you should see the market falling <laughs> today. I think we will get back to the 17,000 level. So uh, the strategy for playing the Hong Kong market is uh, short it when when you stage a rally. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, short when it's near 18,000.
0: Has Alibaba lost its way? Because it made a big thing, didn't it, about this uh, reorganization of its businesses, yeah. the individual mm-hmm. units being able to go an IPO mm-hmm. and raise all their money. But now it's talking about, it's not going to spin off its cloud business. It hasn't even got new management yet for its cloud Uh business. It's not going to list its supermarket uh, business either. Seems to be a real turnaround, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I think even in their their sales business, uh, they are losing to uh, 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 those two upstarts, uh, Shin and also Timo. Mm. I think they're taking business away from uh, from Taobao and also the other retailers so and uh, they have to do something else to really shore up their, their retail business, I think. Uh, it's, it's no use. That's a, a saying with Taobao. They need some uh, renovation to compete with the newcomers.
0: Mm, it's, it's really quite worrying, isn't it, what's happening to Alibaba? Because it's never really recovered from that sort mm-hmm. of investigation where it really got stripped down, didn't it? And, and Jack Ma sort of handed over control of the, of the company. It's never really recovered from that.
1: I think the, the new competition is that real worry. I think uh, sooner or later the dominance of uh, uh, Alibaba will fade and then the company will lose its direction. I think that is mm. the fear now.
0: Carlos, what, what economically could stabilize the market here? Is it the fact that maybe interest rates now possibly have peaked? Is, is that going to be a, a, a positive sort of tailwind for, for Hong Kong equities?
2: I I agree um, with Francis here. I think, uh, unfortunately, what we are seeing is investors selling into any rally of the Hansing Index. Um, The strategy seems to remain to sort of diversify away from some of the bigger names um, and, you know, either look at the US or, um, you know, bottom up select areas of um, within sort of the investable universe in China that are still growing like EVs. Um, So I think uh, it might take quite a bit in order to reverse this and I'm not sure if uh, peaking of interest rates in the US um, is, is going to cut it um, given this uh, you know diversification need. Um, I think what would help is to see earnings uh, recovering for these companies. Uh, currently there's a big conversation about... Uh, um, you know the, the the carpet economy. So basically, Chinese consumers moving to uh, lower cost products, um, mm-hmm. as everyone is very mindful about um, declining wages and, and economic uncertainty. And so that is is going to favor the competitors because they are offering a better um, a better you know a more attractive proposition in terms of price and quality. So I think um, mm-hmm. if, if we see a uh, move up in consumption because there's an improvement in domestic sentiment, that automatically will help the Hansing index given the weight. Of some of these companies on the overall index, but um, uh, we we are still a few a few months off that uh, happening in China. So for the time being, I think the um, the current strategy will, will remain in place.
0: Okay, well, thank you both very much. Have a great weekend. Hope it's not yeah. too chilly. You heard there, Carlos Casanova, who is senior Asia economist at UBP, and Francis Lun, the CEO of Geo Securities. <laughs> I'm joined now by Peter Kim, who is head of global investment strategy at KB Financial Group in Seoul. morning, Peter. Good morning. Let me ask you, first of all, your thoughts on the biden G meeting in San Francisco um, yesterday. And in particular, do you think uh, President Biden and President Xi got what they wanted out of that meeting?
3: Oh, that's tricky. Um, you know, normally a uh, high-profile meeting like this, you know, uh, there is a, uh, uh, a lot of preparation to ensure that no misunderstandings or glitches are uh, made, right? I mean, it's almost like they already concluded what they're going to say before the actual meeting begins. Um, this time, it feels a little hard to say because I think um, one, obviously, I think there was effort from both sides to try to make it as smooth as possible. But none of them really gave up too much. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> China decided to give the pandas back. Uh, 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 U.S. tried to be as, uh, I guess, cordial as possible, but you know, President Biden came out with that uh, dictator thing. Uh, he would, he wouldn't back <laughs> yeah. back on that.
0: For all the choreography so, of this, that rather upended it all, you know, didn't it?
3: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you could you could imagine all the uh, the the aides and the minders uh, cringing at every second uh, that it could have just easily melted down into uh, uh, another escalation. But I guess in the end, like uh, no catastrophic event came from uh, the whole thing. But once again, I think uh, uh, one firm conclusion we can make is that uh, it's going to be a long road back to have those two sides being uh, true partners, either in trade or in global peace. Uh, And whatever that we used to think only five years ago.
0: Mm, I mean, although there was things like you know re-engaging militarily and getting military communications going, you know, trying to do something about the fentanyl um, uh, outbreak epidemic um, on the trade front and on the economic front, there was really nothing there, was there?
3: Right. Um, And uh, having been uh, in Korea and covering uh, the region for thirty years now. Um, I, uh, I, it's quite useful to look at what North Korea has been doing to the U.S. and its allies, including South Korea. Um, you, I'm sure you remember a number of times where North Korea said, we're going to set up a hotline, we're going to warm relations, we want, to, you know, we want uh, world peace. Uh, but at the slightest uh, uh, um, uh, disagreement, they track all the way back and start over. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think uh, U.S. having experienced that, perhaps they will try to avoid that stalemate where it just becomes a prolonged, uh, 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 volatile uh, relationship. Uh, but certainly from China's standpoint, you know, having their neighbor, North Korea, actually uh, pull off the strategy successfully, at least gaining economic concessions Um I wouldn't call China to be the next North Korea, but the playbook, there is a lot of similarities. Mm.
0: Actions speak louder than words, does not it? Because it's all very well, the two of them saying they want to get on better. Um, You know, we're not trying to challenge each other. Um, We're not trying to interfere in each other's domestic affairs. But then um, President Biden goes and slaps more sanctions on and and China goes back to harassing Philippines fishing boats and uh, blockading uh, Taiwan. You know, it's it's the actions that matter, isn't it?
3: absolutely and uh i think uh i think both sides realize that uh no matter how many times they meet a year uh they cannot talk back uh what has transpired over the past few years Mm -hmm. um and uh and and there are some hopes i think it's uh, uh falsely founded some hopes that after the presidential election in the u.s that maybe they could get real talks going but uh you know, with a uh, uh, real possibility of a Trump Part Two coming, uh, I'm not sure whether that's something that we should be waiting for.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do, do you think? How do you think markets uh, uh, and investors are going to react to this? Because obviously, this was a a much anticipated meeting. Um, you know, markets were really waiting to see what they said. Do you think there's anything there that's either positive or negative for for markets?
3: No. Um, clearly, uh, some of the China. Uh, stocks that's listed in the U.S., uh, not much happening there. Uh, market overall, not much uh, reaction. So mm. I think uh, um, maybe some concerns that uh, uh, it could have escalated, that it could have had a meltdown. So at least we didn't have that. But certainly in terms of real progress, I mean, you've heard what the uh, U.S. ambassador to Japan, um, Mr. Emmanuel, said. Um, you know, the, the, the there's no real change in tones. Um, Um, uh, from the U.S. side. So I Mm. think uh, we just have to see. I think it's going to be a long road back.
0: I'm wondering about the dinner that Xi Jinping attended with the 300 or so (laughs) business executives. I mean, there, um, in his speech, he was saying there was plenty of room for China and the U.S. to cooperate. He said China never bets against the U.S. The U.S. shouldn't bet against China. Um, And he said that um, China's ready to be a partner and a friend of the U.S. It's a big market, a big economy, 1.4 billion people. I suspect this was his real reason for going to the U.S., wasn't it? It wasn't actually to meet President Biden. What he really wants to do is calm foreign investors um, and try and stop them pulling money out of the country, which they've been doing in a a rather large amount recently.
3: Yeah, well, first of all, I think uh, several things there. Uh, First, that uh, we've seen what China is doing with Australia most recently. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, after Australia really took a hardline stance, uh, China swiftly put away its wolf warrior diplomacy uh, and trying concertedly to try to make that relationship get better. Uh, So uh, that's consistent with the recent uh, meeting this week. Uh, But also uh, talking about, uh, you know, just talking about these things. I mean, again, you mentioned yourself, uh, you know, what actions uh, uh, to back that up if this latest speech was a precursor to real actions to become friendly again that's something but if it's a stop short of that then I really um, don't know whether uh, we can expect any real improvements T- speaking of uh, uh, cheap uh, uh, talk you know uh, I noticed that uh, uh, the Wall Street Journal reported that it cost two thousand dollars per person to mm. a- to even get in the door
0: yeah 40,000 then- if you sat on the top table I think it was
3: that's right. So that's right. So, I mean, um, you know, the standing applause. I mean, <laughs> you know, they take a lot of money to uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, applaud a speech. I hope they got
0: yeah. what they wanted for $40,000. <laughs> but I, I suppose yeah. but, um, President, uh, President Xi, he needs to buy some time, though, doesn't he? He also can't afford at the moment to have deteriorating relations with the U.S. because he's got a huge amount of domestic problems, particularly economically with his property sector, um, he needs time, doesn't he, to try and rebuild and repair this economy.
3: That's right. And I think it's symbolic that uh, uh, President Xi is going over to the U.S. instead of the other way around. Uh, I think the, no matter how you cut it, at least for the short term, uh, anti-China strategy from the U.S. is working for its economy. Mm. Uh, it is the strongest economy in the world. Um, it's uh, on much better footing uh, than China is in particular Uh, And, you know, having seen China's economy struggle despite the lifting of COVID restrictions, I think, um, you know, it's almost it was almost like a U.S. going for a a lap of honor. Right. Uh, Mm, mm. uh, But uh, but over the long term, uh, there are a lot of questions of whether uh, the U.S. economy can sustain Uh, And that's a question for, I guess, after the elections.
0: Mm. Do do you think the Fed has overdone it in terms of tightening? I mean, it's sort of almost declaring victory on inflation at the moment, isn't it? It's got uh, inflation coming down now sequentially month on month, every month since April, Uh, still above the target, but it's made good progress, hasn't it? And now it seems, or the markets certainly are assuming, that we've reached the peak. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, I think we're definitely nearer to the peak. I mean, we're way past the halfway point. So, I mean, uh, that's something that you can uh, take to the bank. Um, whether uh, there is further uh, uh, inflationary shocks ahead, uh, I think we've sort of maybe passed that as well. And that's what we're wondering now. But to be honest, for the equity markets, further one or two hikes not going to really matter to me. I think it's the bond market that's really unsure of the long-term consequences uh, of the, uh, uh, the recent deglobalization, you know, the sovereign rating being downgraded. All of that is trying to be baked into the bond market. So um, I think uh, next year um, um, is going to be interesting with all these elections around the region. Um, uh, I think most of this year was politically relatively calm, but re- to me it's really a year where the FOMC was trying to get its credibility back And I think it's achieved that because it's been pretty consistent with this language. Uh, Last year, uh, you know, they were scrambling to try to get credibility because uh, they chopped and changed their stance two, three times. So uh, perhaps next year we'll have a calmer bond market now that the FOMC has stamped its uh, uh, perhaps authority on its uh, rate path.
0: Mm. And then, now you mentioned an inflation, inflation shock. I've been wondering aloud actually on this show this week, could the inflation shock be to the downside um, that actually we're seeing um, inflation come down quite quickly now, not just in the US, but elsewhere as well. In the UK, it's at a two year um, low. Um, Could the shock be that um, rather than inflation rises, it goes straight through that floor of uh, that target of 2% and and turns negative because we are seeing very fast uh, sequential declines in inflation now. And also, if you look at money supply, uh, that's turned negative. Growth in money supply has turned negative in the US.
3: So it's the chicken or the egg. And that's the part that the bond market is trying to get its head around. Uh, Is the inflation data coming down because there is a looming recession? Or is it just being uh, 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 going through its mechanism, uh, readjusting for that uh, inflation peak we saw September last year? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, uh, if it's the former, uh, then uh, you can actually see the uh, central banks take quick action to try to uh, soften the recession. Uh, but if it's an inflation that's coming down on its own, obviously that's positive. Uh, so I think uh, we have to see um, whether the recent inflation data is part of a beginning of a longer trend or it's just one of these blips. We've had a few of those blips over uh, the past 12 months and I, um, I'm a little uh, cautious about uh, reacting to it too soon.
0: Now, let me ask you finally about uh, something that's going on in your own domestic market, this short-selling ban that's really came out of the blue. Well, I, I presume it came out of the blue. I don't know if it was a surprise to you or not. But, but what's behind that and, and what sort of effect is it having on the market there?
3: Um, yeah, it's, uh, um, I guess it's part of uh, local press is calling it the, uh, the early uh, kicking in of the election cycle. Uh, there is a general election coming up. Uh, in April next year uh, and there's a a considered effort to try to appease the the retail investors who've been the major uh, buyers of the market from the peak of the pandemic. Uh, So I call it the people's rally uh, from the depth of the uh, sell-off during the COVID. uh, Retail investors have been the only buyers that has uh, lifted up uh, to the current point. Uh, So I guess uh, downside from the market uh, hurts retail investors more than the institutional, both domestic and foreign. And thus these concerns about uh, short-selling uh, hurting the retail investors. Um, I think uh, clearly the fact that no other market is doing it at a relatively calm market environment, uh, that was the shock uh, and the suddenness of it. But I think uh, um, the the government is trying to come up with a better, transparent way to uh, de- uh, deliver the mechanism of the short selling and that it is a part of the uh, financial market so um, uh, the government is announced that they're working on it and try to get back on track but uh, for now the uh, the ban is uh, uh, in place until june which obviously a couple of months after the election over
0: I, I've never really understood why regulators do this because you know why can't you sell a stock if you believe it's overvalued just like you can buy it when it's undervalued and at the end of the day it's very asymmetric because the regulators you know don't want to see the market go down and damage retail investors but they're perfectly happy to let the market um, have a bubble on, on the upside.
3: Yeah so I think uh, it's a uh... It's an era of uh, populism. I mean, it's not just Korea, mind you. you know, the mm. rest of the world has increasingly become more um, uh, sensitive to the public sentiment. And uh, I, I can resort to a number of uh, examples. You know, where did the independence of central banks go? <laughs> just, as a, just as a starter. Mm. Uh, uh, and I think it's, uh, um, it's a trend that I think we'll see globally, that the policymakers are increasingly... Uh, getting uh, influenced by the general public and uh, therefore the politicians. As far as the short sale ban goes, um, I hope that uh, you know that we'll get to the point where the financial markets will function on its own uh, without having intervention. And I think that's uh, a very key part of uh, any uh, capital markets. And uh, um, you know, uh, if South Korea, I think, uh, 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 will uh, uh, n- will not forget that. Um, it's just we have some short-term distractions.
0: Okay, Peter. Always pleasure to talk to you. Have a great weekend. That's Peter Kim. Thank you. Who's Head of Global Investment Strategy at KB Financial Group in Seoul. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk.
2: Money talk.
0: Thank you very much for listening this morning. And this week, don't forget to take a look at my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you on Monday. Joining me then are Alex Wong, Director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management, and John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempus Investments. Providing a view from mainland China will be Shanghai-based independent economist
3: Andy Scher. Have a great weekend. Money Talk.